This week on Writers Inc. A first draft is usually about 70,000 words for me. So what would be the average word count I would need to do every day um, to sort of hit that goal? J.K. Rowling was nearly homeless when she wrote the first Harry Potter book. Stephen King penned Carrie in a small desk wedged between a washer and dryer. James Patterson worked in advertising and famously crafted the Toys R Us theme song long before becoming an author. Join New York Times bestseller J.D. Barker and indie powerhouses Jay Thorne and Zach Bohannon as they pull back the curtain on some of the world's most prolific authors. Where do they start? What is their process? The biggest names in publishing all have origin stories, all have tips and secrets. What does it take to consistently top the bestseller lists and become a household name? Get your notepad out, school's in session. This is Writer's Inc. My wife's home. I can hear her in the kitchen right now. She can probably hear me. It's our first uh, week working from home. It's been super awesome. Aren't you in the kitchen? Oh. Wait, wait, hold on. I didn't know that this was going on. So your wife is now working from home, and so you're both home all day. Yes. <laughs> How, and how's that going for you? Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I know his wife pretty well, so I can I can probably answer that. <laughs> Well, it's a weird thing because like my wife, like, you know, I've been working at home for six or seven years now and she's always been home. So like I'm used to it. And right now she's actually down in, um, she, she just left for Georgia from Tennessee, but she's visiting some of our properties down there and they've been gone for, it's, it's coming up on three weeks, like her and my daughter. So it's just been me rambling around in this house. And, and like, for me, it sucks. Like it's just, it's so quiet. Like I miss having just the noise or just having her around. Like you just, you get used to it. So I, I guess that's my, the, the moral of the story. You get used to it. <laughs> Let's hope so. <laughs> the, those first couple weeks can be a little rough, but you will get used to it. Next week, Jay is going to be at a co-working space recording. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I mean, I probably so. The next I'll be upping my membership. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be in a co-working space. You got one like really close to you, right? Yeah, across the street. I can walk to it. Yeah. yeah. See, you'll be. He'll be at a co-working space. Yeah. Or she will. Yeah. One, one of the two. <laughs> He's like, I can't leave my plant. You know. <laughs> It'll take die mask, without me here. Take masking tape and put a line down the middle of the living room. Oh, <laughs> That's your side. This is my side. Tape. <laughs> so enough about me. Uh, what are you working on, Zach? <laughs> well, I just got um, I, I just got my book back from my editor, so I've been going through those edits, and I can report. So I did the whole thing I was going to do, where I asked her how the book was like, you know, and asked her how, and she's, she said, well, it felt like you did more editing this time. And it felt a lot cleaner. And I was like, yes. I was like, cause I actually did less editing. <laughs> so, and I explained to her what I did and she was like, yeah, she's like, it felt like that what probably happened was that you were really in the story the whole time, maybe. And instead of like going back and doing your big revisions at the end or whatever, like being in the story the whole time seemed to really help. So I was I was excited because I love the process I've been using, uh, waking up every day and editing um, my what I did the day before. And literally, when I got to the end of the book and I edit, like I woke up and I edited those last chapters, I just sent it to her. I didn't do anything else, so I was I was, I was pretty happy with that. Great. So, um, so that's going on. I also should report because it's going to get out there sooner and later, especially in Jay's mastermind because some people have already seen it, but. I broke my social media detox oh, of no. three years. Wow. And I'm and I'm on Instagram. So I'm giving it a shot. I've been thinking about it for a while um, and decided to go back on there. And I've enjoyed it so far. It's been kind of nice reconnecting with some certain people and stuff. 
Um, but who knows? I might only be on there for like another day or two or like a week. But uh, but if you want to follow me, it's at Zach Bohannon on Instagram. So. Okay, so I've got questions. Breaking news. <laughs> <or not. laughs> so there, there's obviously you've got choices now when it comes to social media. Um, why did you go with Instagram over over the other ones? I feel like Instagram for me always felt felt like le- a lot less noise. Like there's less opinions on Instagram. I always kind of felt that way before, and I'm and I'm finding it like at least with who I'm following, it's good. Like I don't with Twitter and Facebook, there's just too much like negativity and ranting. I feel like and. Instagram is just like pictures of what people have going on and stuff. And so, and I, I just enjoy that more. And, uh, it, it was, it honestly, it was the, the hardest part of the decision to be honest with you is because I have some very, um, strong moral stances against Facebook as a company. So like the fact that they own Instagram was a little difficult for me, but, um, I don't, I figured, you know what, like, I'm just going to give it a shot and see how it makes me feel and see, and also like, just see, what kind of different, if it makes any sort of difference in my business and my personal or whatever, my personal life, like whatever. Um, and I figure I can always go back off. Like it's, it's not that big of a deal. I can always delete it and not be on there again. But, uh, but I figured I would say something on here before people start being like, well, hold on. That's the anti-social media guy. But, uh, <laughs> that I've, I have no plans to go anywhere else. Like I'm just going to spend a little bit of time on there. Um, and that's it. Yeah. I'm, so. uh, so disappointed that I didn't see this before we recorded because I've got nothing. I like there's so many jokes I could have made. I could have I could have <laughs> teased you in so many ways had I known, but now on the spot I have I just got nothing. I'm so disappointed. I'm really surprised no one in your mastermind called me out or in, in your commu- in the community because like several people on there know and they saw me. Jeff Elkins was giving me some crap um <laughs> but uh, about it but uh but yeah, so we'll see. Like I said, it's just, it's not, it may not be a permanent thing. Like I kind of have to see how it makes me feel, but I kind of figured I was like, you know, I've been away this long and let's just, this is the one platform that somewhat interests me. Um, so let's just, let's see how it goes. And I, again, I can always bail. So, so, okay. More questions. <laughs> did, <laughs> did you have, um, cause I know you quit this a while ago. Like, were you able to reactivate your original account and kind of pick up where you left off? Or did you have to start with a brand new profile and it's like you and three followers and you know, you, where, where are you at with that? So I never, so my, um, I, I never actually deleted any of my accounts because I didn't want to lose my name, which is like the thing you always talk about, you know, claim your name on everything. Um, my, my Facebook account, um, I don't know if it is now or not. I know that it, 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 I, it has been like, you can deactivate your Facebook account where it won't show up, but you don't lose anything. Um, but my Instagram account, I just kind of kept up. And over the last like week or so before I actually jumped in, I went in and I cleaned up a lot of my, the people I was following and just to get it to where it's just people I want to follow and not all. Cause like when I used it before I would just follow any, like it was, I was trying to get follows and likes and stuff. I had a totally different mentality. Now it's just more about like connecting with people who like actually want to see what they have going on and not just trying to like, you know, Oh, there's like this, this page that like that focuses on books or whatever. I'm going to follow them and hope they, like, I just don't care about that. So I went through and, and, and there was also lost a, a lot of stuff on there still from back when I was like a personal trainer and in my, that world. So like I got rid of all that and stuff. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I didn't have to start from scratch. So, um, yeah. All right. 
That, Breaking that is, news. I that, know. That, that is the end of my questions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's what all the Q&A will be like this month since, you know, I put such a flag in not being on social media. So we'll, uh, we'll see. What about you, I mean, J.D.? I, I, uh, I, I opened up the news app on my phone before coming on here thinking, oh, I'm going to just read a little bit and see what's going on <laughs> in the world. Um, I don't watch the Oscars. I've never watched the Oscars. Um, yeah, I used to watch the Grammys and some of the you know, VMAs and that, that kind of thing, but, but never the Oscars. So uh, my news feed just completely filled with, with all of these stories. But the one at the top was actually an interview with O.J. Simpson commenting on, <laughs> on Will Smith and Chris Rock. And I was like, where, like, how is that even possible where OJ is like a commentator on something like this? And like, why is that the go-to question for OJ? You know, like if you got a microphone and you've got it in front of OJ's face, like, is that really the question that you ask? Um, so yeah, I, I immediately closed my news app after that because whatever faith I had in news media just kind of was, was gone. Um, I'm completely wired on caffeine and, and Jay was making fun of me a, a, a couple of days ago. So I, I, one of the things that I've learned from Jim is product placement um, from, from Patterson. So like he's got an autobiography coming out and he's got a page in there at the very end where he just lists some of his favorite things, you know, like everything from Oreo cookies to cars. And he's like, wait and see what happens when I, when I do this. Um, and, and, you know, it got me thinking, you know, like product placement is a, a huge thing. You know, a lot of people don't realize this, but a lot of celebrities, they'll go on the tonight show and they'll, they'll wear a particular thing. They'll mention a certain brand, whatever it might be, but they're actually getting paid to do that. You know, they're, it's not just a conversation. They're actually throwing a product in there. It's, it's a commercial that's, that's being snuck in under the radar. Um, so I wanted to see if you could do this with books. Now I, I drink a lot of coffee, um, you know, in, in order to get my, my word count every day, I probably put a pot away, um, just, just by myself. Um, and in my, my next book, which I'm, I'm plotting out uh, right now, I, I am creating an outline, which is another thing. Um, oh wait, I, I, have, I have questions. I have questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What, I have a one, lot of questions about that. One of the lead characters is a, a basically a coffee snob, you know, like just very into into coffee and that you know the beans, the machines, all these different things. So I you know figured, well, let me reach out to a company that makes a high end machine, let them know I'm writing this book, and and see what they would be willing to do. I got an email back and and they basically sent me a four thousand dollar coffee machine for free for plugging it in this book, um, which is awesome. But then you know I realized I need to put something in it, so I reached out to a local you know coffee bean company and told them what I was up to. And again, got an email, and and now I've got a year supply of free coffee beans of my my favorite coffee. Um, so for, in Dracul two, there will be <laughs> Death Wish coffee. <laughs> I, I'm just I'm, I'm bringing this up because I think a lot of authors don't actually think about this kind of thing. And you know, like I've obviously got some some decent sales numbers, and you know, Google, you know, they Googled me and they they saw all that kind of stuff. So that that all helps. But you know, this is something I think every author should con consider. Um, the other thing I just want to throw out there is if UPS delivers a, a high end coffee machine to you at seven o'clock at night don't plug it in <laughs> because you will end up making a bunch of cups of coffee that you shouldn't be drinking at seven o'clock at night and I, i'm pretty I, I didn't sleep for like a day and a half because i was putting away cappuccinos and this and that it's like having a starbucks on my counter so i, I was very excited yeah i gotta say that's like so i've i've always gone the opposite route and don't put brands in my books because I don't want to give them the attention. Like I don't, I'm just like, whatever, I'm not going to have advertisements in my book, especially if I'm not getting paid for it. Like, but I've never thought about reaching out and being like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about putting this in my book. Would you want me to name your, like, dude, that's actually pretty genius. And, and I, I would also say that like, like you, you obviously have really good sales numbers, but I bet for a lot of companies, you wouldn't need that big of sales numbers for them for to put something that's going to like 
perpetually be out there in, in a, I mean, that's an ongoing advertisement for them just to send you something like that. Yeah. The, the part that I'm honestly not sure of is when you turn a book into a traditional publisher, you have to give their, their legal department, there's usually a form you have to fill out or they, they you know, I sent, ask you whatever, but you have to basically provide a list of any real name, names you've used of people, of places, of businesses. Um, so I'm going to have to, you know, basically out the fact that I did this when, when you know, my agent takes the book out to the publishers. Um, now, I'm not quite sure how that's going to play out. I don't know if they're going to say. Kristen's going to want a coffee machine. That's how it's going to play out. <laughs> well, yeah, they, they, they may come back and, and say, well, we can't release this book if that you know that name is in there because a lot of like you always have to get written permission to do these kind of things and yeah. if you can't provide that to the publisher the legal department makes you change the name or change whatever to, to something else um so I, I don't know how this is going to play out you know so right right now i've got you know fantastic coffee i've got i was gonna say are you going <laughs> to clean the grounds out before you send it back to these people <laughs> once you're once it gets denied <laughs> dude the, the, the machine cleans itself <laughs> of, course, of course it does. It, it literally, a screen came up the other night and said, I am cleaning myself with a little smiley face. <laughs> I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. Um, he sent me a text at like 8 p.m. with the video of the of the coffee running, and I was like, okay, this is not going to end well. <laughs> no, it, it, did, it didn't. <laughs> the I, other- I, I, I just held off from making so many comments there. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm being good. <laughs> And I'm going to totally zig instead of zagging right here. But when that coffee machine came in, I was watching the new Reacher series on Amazon, which is really good, by the I way. I liked it, too. Yeah. Yeah. And he binged it after all that coffee. <laughs> yeah. Like- I'm, I'm like four or five episodes in or so. Um, for, first of all, that guy played Aquaman on Smallville. Like it, oh, I, he looked really familiar yeah. to me and I couldn't figure out why. And he also, if you really want to go back, he hit on Paula Abdul when he auditioned for American Idol. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, this guy's been around for a while. Were you there? Uh, no, I was not there. I'm shocked. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure it's 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 out there on the interwebs. Um, but I, while that was going on, I was going back and forth with my film agent because we're getting really close on a contract for something. And you know, one of the reasons I wanted to watch this, I was trying to figure out. You know, like they made the the Tom Cruise movies, and now they've got this Amazon series. And a lot of times, there's wording in the contract that would basically prohibit you from doing that. Um, I, I don't know Lee well, well enough to be able to ask him, "Hey, can I see your contract?" Because I'd love to see how you were able to do that. But I, I'm I'm guessing that they're not going to be able to make you know the the movies that tom cruise made they're, those two books they're not going to be able to adapt those for the tv show they're probably going to have to skip over them i'm, I'm guessing from a, a legal standpoint um but you know from the, the contracts for tv shows and, and films are insanely thick and very difficult to decipher and it's very easy to, to lose your rights you know so like when i see something like you know thomas harris you know he's got the sounds of the lambs you know the, the, the movies that came out they've got the tv show you know they've got clarice right now like the fact that he's able to do that you know all of his contracts had to line up perfectly in order to allow that because any one of those previous contracts could have eaten up and taken those rights away and, and prevented those future projects from happening. Um, so that was another reason why I was, I, w- I was looking at that. Um, yeah, and, and I probably wouldn't have been thinking about it so hard if I didn't have like five cups of cappuccino in me at the time. I'll bet if you send uh, Lee Child a really nice coffee machine, he might show you his contracts. He might. He, he's probably the only person that drinks more coffee than me. <laughs> <laughs> coffee machine and a, a carton of cigarettes and we're all good. <laughs> Well, I got uh, two two short announcements before we get into some of the business here. The first one is uh, we're really excited to announce that the Author Life Summit is happening in Colorado Springs, uh, September 10, 11 this year, formerly the Selmore Book Show, formerly the Career Author Summit, now the Author Life <laughs> no Summit. No more name changes. We're, no we're more done. name changes. This is it. Theauthorlife.com slash summit 2022. We'll have a link in the show notes. Uh 
it's going to be just like what we did in Nashville. Really small, uh, 50 or so people in the room. We've got great sponsors and speakers lined up. All three of us are going to be there. Uh, so if you're listening to this in real time, make sure you head on over there and grab a ticket because they are going to go fast. There just aren't that many. So really excited about that. Also want to announce the winner of the March Madness Kobo e-reader giveaway. That winner is... Mikey Campling. Congratulations, Mikey. Hit me up and I will put you in touch with the Kobo folks and they will get you your Kobo e-reader on the way. Uh, so, and it's a great transition because we love our sponsors over there at Kobo Writing Life. Uh, if you are publishing a book wide, you must go through Kobo Writing Life because you get to set your price. Uh, you get promotional opportunities without any of that exclusivity junk. So you go to CobraWritingLife.com and sign up today. JD, who's up on the podcast this week? All right. This week we've got Alyssa Sussman. Um, she's a former YA author, a ghostwriter um, in the in the romance field. Um, and her latest book, I believe, is her first adult title that, that she's written. It's called Funny You Should Ask. Uh, it's about an author who gets tasked with interviewing her favorite celebrity. Um, comes out uh, April 12th. Um, that one you know, ticked a lot of boxes for me because it just brought back a lot of the things that I used to, used to do. Um, but, yeah, I'm interested in this one. So here she is, Alyssa. Whipped cream or no whipped cream on your pumpkin pie? Oh, whipped cream for oh, sure. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Right. Absolutely whipped cream. Oh, this interview is going to go in a completely different direction if you said no whipped cream. <laughs> it would have just ended it immediately. It would be like, oh, sorry, got to go. <laughs> no, the other way I thought you could answer that would be funny you should ask. Ah. Uh, see, I, I'm sure you'll get tired of that joke very soon. <laughs> Hey, welcome. Uh, you got a really cool new book out. You're getting great reviews from Kirkus uh, and Publishers Weekly. Tell us about it. Thank you. Um, I'm very, very excited about it. Um, it's called Funny You Should Ask, and it's my first adult novel. I've previously written young adult um, books, and this is my first foray into adult um, under my own name. And Funny You Should Ask is about a writer, um, a journalist who gets tasked with interviewing a celebrity and it happens to be her like number one celebrity crush. And the book kind of um, explores what happens when the article that she writes about this celebrity named, his name is Gabe Parker, her name is Hani Horowitz. Um, when the article she writes about the weekend they spend together goes viral. Um, and then what happens when they meet up 10 years later, where they are in their careers, what actually happened that weekend. It all kind of unfurls um, over the course of the book. Yeah, we won't give any spoilers away. So Yeah, no, <laughs> no spoilers. It's uh, extremely relevant. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, I, I would imagine like this is... Um, you're looking to sort of time a story like this in, in a particular way, especially because you, you mentioned you did young adult. So you know, mm -hmm. what was it about this particular story that you felt like it, it would be better as you're like an adult book as opposed to a YA? Um, I think I had been exploring um, playing in the adult space for a while. Um, I'd written a few books beforehand that uh, never really got any, never sort of went anywhere. Um, but I grew up, reading romance loving romance it's probably my first the the first genre i really connected with and loved um and then kind of moved away from it and when i sort of came back to it i was like oh this is 
fun. This is like fun in a way that I haven't felt with writing in a while. Um, so it was really just a book that I wrote with very little expectations. I was kind of just like, I'm just going to have fun with it. Um, I had sold, I, I was writing it during the first year of the pandemic. So 2020, and I had just sold a young adult book. So there wasn't a lot of pressure on this project. It was kind of like, I can just write this for fun and send it to my agent. And if she likes it, maybe we'll go out with it and we'll see where it goes. And it kind of, you know, got a lot more excitement and a lot more um, engagement than I had been expecting. And so that kind of shifted career plans and, and ideas of where I was going in publishing. And, and now I'm really excited that I am focusing more on adult, on adult books, which I, I think I think I was sort of always meant to come to this point and, and write these kind of books. And so now I'm here, I'm really excited about it. Excellent. We're going to talk a little bit more about the, the other, uh, the YA books, but uh, before we do that, uh, how did you develop your chops? Um, your, you know, your, your writing chops, your storytelling abilities, where did that come from? Um, I mean, I think I've always really been interested in storytelling. Um, when I was a kid, I was always telling stories in certain ways, either doing like puppet shows with my brother when we were younger. My parents were really big on sort of um, imagination-based play. So like we had a big box of dress-up clothes. So it was always about like, what can you create from nothing? Um, or what can you create from prompts and, and ideas? And and I, so I, was, I would do plays and then I would be writing fan fiction in high school and like romantic stories that I would share with my friends and then went to college, studied fiction, um, took fiction workshops um, and went to grad school, also studied fiction. Um, but I think the best education I got was I was a ghostwriter for about five years and I was doing mostly like the kind of um, romance that you're reading on Kindle Unlimited so just eBooks, but I wrote, I think almost 15 books in like wow. a five year period. And it was, it's the best education I could have asked for. It was an incredible crash course in just learning plot, learning um, character, chemistry, dialogue, like everything, just learning how to write on a schedule, on deadlines, just the best education I could have asked for. Wow. Well, I, I could imagine though, like I wonder where that where your learning came in because you could take an, uh, a writer and you could just have them you know write all day long for years that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to get better so what was it about the ghostwriting process that allowed you to continually improve? Um, I think I I think for me it was it was the practice of writing as much as I was writing at that point um, and I think the great thing about romance and why I think actually like writing programs should teach romance. Um, there is this wonderful formulaic aspect to it, which because you have these kind of strict boundaries of like, okay, you have, you know, traditionally two characters, they are going to meet around this point in the story. They're going to kiss around this point in the story. They're probably going to have sex at this point in the story. And then they're going to like have a fight and then get back together. And that just really shows you, it's such a great guideline for just learning how to write plot and learning how to um, write character and write dialogue. And when you have that kind of baseline, you get to then, then it's like you can play with those tools that you've learned. And, and I think, you know, for me, I took, I took the work seriously and I was um, it was always a learning experience for me. And I think, 
I think a lot of time, like to be a better writer, you just have to write a lot and you have to write and put that work in front of other people and get feedback and get um, criticism and also learn what is good criticism and what's not good criticism. Um, but just the act of writing and the act of having your work read is really, really um, like educational. I certainly won't ask you to break any NDAs, uh, but as far as the uh, the ghostwriting goes, was there a, any type of feedback loop for you, or did when you sent the draft off the next time you saw it, it was on it was in on Amazon? Uh, it was yeah, it was pretty a pretty fast turnaround. Okay. Um, I think because I had I had read so much romance as like I you if you understand how romance works, and a lot of time you can get that by studying it by reading it. Um, you can really follow those guidelines pretty easily. Um, and so I, I just like have this great love for, for romance as a genre. I read it constantly. And so it's like osmosis. You just kind of are taking that and then putting it into the work and then it just goes off. And they were, they were pleased with the work I was doing. So I didn't have to do a lot of revisions. Yeah. I have to say, uh, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily need to read a ton of romance, but I, there's not a genre writer I have more respect for than romance writers because of their output, their consistency, and especially in the indie world, they are on the front edge of all of the marketing, promotional, reader connections. And so when I hear you say like, you know, I wish they would teach this in, you know, an MFA or in writing programs, like why do you think they're not? Oh, I mean, it's sexism. It's uh, completely sexist. You know, it's like, it's the same reason that we don't respect in general, we don't respect romance as a genre. Um, it's one of the most profitable um, genres in publishing, but it's now, and now it's starting to get a little more respect, I think with rom-coms and you have someone like Emily Henry and Jasmine Gilroy and um, Casey McQuiston, you know, they're starting to get more attention and more marketing money and going on tour. And they're sort of becoming this face of this new um, attention to the genre, but yeah, I mean, romance has been making money for publishing forever, but because it's a traditionally written by and for women, um, there's just less respect for it. Yeah, I see that. Like, it, don't don't disagree at all. It's unfortunate, yeah. but like, <laughs> I mean, but like from you know, in my in my experience, uh, you know, I'm I'm mentored by and I follow some really powerful. Uh, indie writers in romance because they're just trailblazing and they're crushing it and and it's just a shame that like you know what in all fairness too some of them don't care uh, some of them are like hey it's fine with yeah. me you know I'm making my bank so it's it's all good yeah and I think sometimes there's a benefit to not having too much spotlight on you mm -hmm. because you do get to like do weirder things and and do um, step outside what people expect um, but yeah I mean I think it's it's nice that people are sort of appreciating romance a little bit more these days. It's, yeah. It's been nice to see that. What are, uh, what's one convention that, um, is, is an unbreakable for romance? Like, I, cause I hear this conversation a lot. There's some debate around sort of the conventions of the genre. So what's one that, you know, like you absolutely cannot break this rule. I mean, there has to be a happy, happy ending. I feel like that's, that's really the only hard and fast rule. If you're going to define something as a romance, um, and I think sometimes it's, you know, romance is a term and, and genre terms, they're always for marketing. You know, they're always, they're not something that writers put on their own work necessarily. Um, but I know that if you say something is a romance and a, and a reader picks it up 
and you get to the end and those characters are not together, you are going to have a really pissed off romance reader. Um, and so that's that's really the hard and fast rule, I think. And I think everything else is kind of getting um, sh like shooken up a little bit, which is great. But I think people read romance because they want to have that kind of emotional comfort and catharsis at the end of the story. Like that's so, and I think you have to respect that that's why people are reading it um, and, and honor their expectations in that way. Do you think that's cyclical? The romance with a happy ending cyclical? The, the, or? Uh, the, the reader's desire for that kind of story. Um, I mean, I don't know because I think romance has been a secret powerhouse for a very, very long time. I think right now we are, I think the fact that we are drawing more attention to it and we're, we're more okay with it being sort of, you know, popular and, and we're having, we have more respect for the genre. I think that's coming from yes, two years in a pandemic, people really having a rough time and wanting something that makes them feel good. So I think there is that that sense of like, oh, there's value in this, you know, even though there's always been value in it, but we are, we are putting a priority on happiness and comfort and satisfaction in a way that we might not have been doing two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. You mentioned that you felt like, uh, you've sort of arrived or arrived in yourself, maybe it's like the, the place where you were meant to be. Uh, and, uh, so tell me a little bit about Stray and Burn. W what is the path? So the path is, it's Stray and Burn is about a world in which only women can do magic, but it's considered a curse. And the path is kind of what is their religious belief, essentially. And so it's about um, these, these rules that women and men, but mostly women are expected to, to follow, um, which is not dissimilar to a lot of rules we have in our own culture and our own sort of sexism and and the, the way the patriarchy infuses itself in every single thing we do um but this is like in a fantasy world and sort of fantasy fairy tale inspired world love it and what was the uh was there a decision or was this something that evolved uh because i can imagine these these titles being published as adult novels uh, as opposed to mm -hmm. ya so wh why did you go that path um i think because I was reading a lot of young adult books at the time and it was a very, it felt like a very accessible genre or I mean, why is why it contains so many different genres within it, but it, it felt like publishing as a whole can feel really closed off and very um, just, you just don't know. It's like, you know, you're faced with a wall and you're like, well, where's the door? I don't know where the door is. And when I started in um, writing books with the intention of being, them being published, the most information you could find about publishing was coming from other YA authors. And it just felt like it was a part of the industry that was being more transparent and you could learn about how to find an agent, what the process was like. People were just, were just talking online a lot more about it. And the story I wanted to write, I think I was writing it was a little bit of an homage to some of the books that I had read as a teenager, like dealing with the dealing with dragons series by Patricia C. Reed, which is a, like a fairy, a fairy tale fantasy dragon series, which I love. And I had read that as a young adult and it has a young adult character. So I think I was taking both of those things and being like, Oh, this would be a really fun story to tell. Um, 
with with a, a young protagonist and also I think it's you know the world I was portraying I was like you know if you have an adult in it you're gonna have a harder time believing like why wouldn't she have just sort of figured out how messed up this is but if you're a teenager it's like well you're just you're coming into your own you're learning all of these new things so it felt more realistic to kind of have her going through that journey as a teenager were you writing these while you were uh working at the big animation studios i was i was i was working at i started it when i was working at nickelodeon and then moved on to disney feature and then after I worked at DreamWorks, I took a little bit, um, some time off um, and just wrote uh, Stray and then worked at Sony Animation for a little bit and then quit to sort of try writing full time. So it was kind of all kind of mixed in together. Um, and because it's, you know, anyone who works in production, um, it's a very intense schedule usually. So you don't have a lot of free time. Like I was working when I was at Disney, I was working six days a week, like 14 hour days. So I, I was like, either I have to really commit to seeing what it's like to just write full time, or I don't know if I'll ever be able to do it. Wow. What, what kind yeah. of work were you doing in the studios? Uh, so I was on the production side of things. Um, so I was, I'm not a, I'm not a visual artist. I can't draw. Um, and, and I learned in college that you could, I was learned from watching like Disney behind the scenes features on like their, their like two disc DVDs, which I was obsessed with watching. Um, I learned about like production assistants and that you don't have to have any artistic experience to just manage other artists. Um, and it's great for me now because I know how to manage myself as an artist. Um, and I also feel like whenever I interact with anyone on like the publicity and marketing side of things, I have a, a real sense of camaraderie um, with them. Cause I'm just like, I know what it's like to be in your position to be like, I need to get this thing from this artistic person and how do I get it done? And so I can kind of have both, both sides going, which has been really helpful, um, for me at least. Once you made that shift and you're now in charge of your time, how, do, uh, what did you do? Did you have a writing schedule, a certain place, uh, a word count goal? What, what's your, what's your writing routine look like? Um, I mean, it depends on the project for sure. Um, but I am very, um, my husband likes to joke that I'm, I'm extremely regimented. Um, I, I, one thing I started doing, um, over the pandemic is I would, if I was on deadline, I would write pretty much every day and that was really burning me out. And so now I stick to kind of, I treat it like it's a day job. And so it's a Monday through Friday thing. I take the weekends off. Um, I usually, if I'm drafting, I have a word count goal. I'll sort of see like, okay, I want to get a draft done by this time. So how many days do I have? A first draft is usually about 70,000 words for me. So what would be the average word count I would need to do every day um, to sort of hit that goal? And that's kind of where I'm at right now. I'm working on my second book and I have like a little, my little thing that I, oh, I have nice. a little... Um, little thing it's divided into 500 word increments um and that's kind of how i write and so i i'm someone who really likes checking things off of a list so that can motivate me in a really weird way where i'm just like okay if you finish the 500 words you can check it off of your list isn't that nice and 
And sometimes I'll bribe myself with candy if I'm like really having a hard time. Or pumpkin pie. Or pumpkin pie. <laughs> exactly. Give us a, a just a ballpark range of, of like how many words per day on a typical project you might hope to get. Um, I think 2000 is, is usually like if I'm if I'm drafting, that's that's about the average I'm going for. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you find uh, drafting or revising more time intensive? Oh, drafting for sure. Mm. Drafting is um, I, I, I enjoy revising. Um, drafting is I, I enjoy brainstorming and I enjoy revising and drafting is the hardest part for me, for sure. Um, getting getting that first draft is often agony and I hate it but I know I know by the end that I'll have something that I can like work with and that I can work with my editor and my agent to make better but it's like you know you have to have the draft in order to make it better and that's the hardest part yeah how do you find time for the boxing I actually am not boxing anymore, oh, no. sadly. I know, I know. I but I did switch. I switched to Pilates, so I have like another another exercising thing. Um, and I just, you know, I just have my my weekly schedule. I'm very. Um, I have a, a little handwritten schedule that says, okay, this is you know this is what you do every week. You know, I have therapy weekly. I have Pilates weekly, and I just write around that. Um, and I usually like I because I'm a full-time writer and I'm very, very privileged to be able to be a full-time writer. Um, and part of the reason I'm able to do that is because my husband has a job that for a very long time supported both of us. Um, so I, I really have a lot of freedom to, to be able to work on my own schedule. Um, but I do try to, to really work. I try to be at my desk. I kind of keep New York hours. Um, so I'm, I'm in Los Angeles, but I try to work. I'm up pretty early. And then I work till about at least three. So I, you know, I feel like I can step away from my computer at three when I know everyone in, like, I'm not going to be getting any New York emails. I'm not going to be getting anything from like my, my marketing team or my publicity team or my agent or my editor. Um, but I try to be available um, during that time at my desk working. Yeah. That's uh, highly disciplined. Like, right. And, and those, <laughs> I mean, those words add up, don't they? Like, you know, yeah, they, they, they do. add up over time. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, that's the trick is like, you just have to keep trusting that you're going to keep, you're going to put those words on the page and they're, they're going to add up and eventually you will have, you will have a book. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, I was looking through some of your, your social media and doing some research on you for the interview. And I, I, this is a total random question, but it's not even a question, but I love the picture of your dogs. <laughs> And your dogs are great. And you're going to you're you. gonna have to tell, tell the uh, listener their names. But it was yeah. the caption you wrote on one that had me laughing out loud, which was uh, you know, th th your dogs look like they were in a band photo. I know. <laughs> so I, I know. And I didn't like when I first looked at the picture, I'm like, oh, those are cute dogs. And then I read your caption. And when I look back, I'm like, she's right. It looks like a band photo from like, like a Depeche Mode band photo or something from the 80s. I know. They're very, they're very cool. Um, my, my dogs are named Basil and Mozzarella. Um, and they're very, they, we've heard, we've heard all the jokes about the Caprese salad. Um, my sister actually bought us a tomato pillow to sort of round out the whole, the whole thing. Um, but they're, yeah, they're great. And, and part of the reason Basil's our, is our older dog. He's about 10. And when I, quit animation to work full time, one of the other benefits was we were like, oh, we can get a dog because I'll be at home and I can like take care of him and watch out for him. 
And so we're very, we have a very codependent relationship. It's a little unhealthy, <laughs> but I love him so much. Uh, any great origin story on the names? I think I stole both of them from other internet dogs. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like I know, I'm pretty sure. And, and Basil, you know, Basil came first. And then when we, when we got mozzarella, who we mostly call Mozzie, um, we were kind of like, can we name her mozzarella or is that going to be, is that ridiculous? And then we were just like, we're just going to do it. <laughs> well, it works well together, right? <laughs> I think they, they seem, they seem totally fine with it. So. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I have a, I've a, a fun question for you. I hope, uh, as we, mm -hmm. as we kind of pull the conversation to a close, I feel like we're in a really exciting time right now, uh, for, for publishing, for writing, for creatives. There seems to be a lot of technology that's coming along, a lot of opportunity that's coming up. What in what in the industry or in your own personal journey is really uh, exciting you? What are you looking forward to in, in the near future? Well, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I'm I'm excited personally to be able to just keep to keep writing, to keep um, to keep working on romance or romantic fiction. I think the audience is already out there and it's growing and it's expanding. I think there are really great opportunities, storytelling opportunities within like podcasting um, that I'd someday like to explore. Um, you know, there's always the fun possibility of adapting something like your work, you know, just finding new audiences. Um, but I think there, yeah, there are just so many great vehicles for storytelling. Um, and I feel like I'm still sort of new in my storytelling journey, um, even though I've sort of been doing it for, for 10 years. Um, but I can't, I'm really excited to sort of see where, where this takes me and what I'm going to do next. Well, that was the first time I interviewed a boxer. So that was pretty wild. <laughs> Alyssa's right. a boxer. Is that crazy? It, it is, but I need you to explain the whipped cream thing at the beginning of that. Okay. Because you guys never, you guys never actually explained it. <laughs> uh, her bio on our webpage is like, uh, I forget the exact phrasing, but it's like something, something and pumpkin pie eater as part of her bio. So I was like, I got to know if she eats it with whipped cream or not. That's those are two different, very different types of people. OK, because between that and like the, her dogs, I was running back and forth to the kitchen during that whole interview. <laughs> I was going to say whip, uh, whipped cream goes well on coffee. So maybe you should figure out the brand she uses, too, so you can hit them up. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the ghostwriting thing, uh, pretty interesting, yeah. huh? Um, I, yeah, I was going to bring that yeah. up. I think that, like, one thing she said specifically about the ghostwriting that I think is so great is she talked about the experience she gained through it. And I know, I know, JD, this this was kind of what you did for a long time. And I think that that is a, I think that's a missed opportunity for a lot of new authors because I've talked to so many new authors who, uh, you know, they're nervous around publishing under their name and and everything and with with like their first book and. You know, I feel like ghostwriting is kind of a way that you can really get some experience under your belt without having your name attached and, you know, learn along the way, which clearly she did. Now, there's obviously downsides. I mean, J.D., you've I mean, you were doing some pretty big time ghostwriting and you taught you've talked about how, you know, it sucked every time you saw a book that you wrote at the top of the, the list without your name on it. But um, but even on like a smaller level, like there's a lot of these um, there's a lot of these, I don't know what you'd call them, but like companies basically in the indie world who are based, who are producing books under an author's name, you know, as like a publisher. And they're always looking for writers and editors and stuff like that. And that's a really great way, I think, to gain some experience and also to earn money along the way because you're going to get paid for it. 
So yeah, a lot of people don't realize that, and I don't want to out anybody here, but there's basically author names, and that that author name doesn't actually belong to a person; it never has. It's it's basically just a business entity, yeah. and people behind it are hiring ghostwriter after ghostwriter after ghostwriter to to fill that pipeline. Um, so yeah, it's, it's basically you're you're throwing your you're putting your feet to the coals, and you're learning that you know that industry really quick. I, I basically did two different types of ghostwriting. I either worked on the fiction side, where I was you know writing you know like I, I worked on the V.C. Andrews books, those types of things um buffy the vampire slayer i wrote some tie-in novels for that um you know some of those had you know my names on them other you know other ones didn't um the more lucrative ghostwriting projects i did were the, the memoir type stuff or you know the autobiographies you know it was basically dubbed an autobiography by so-and-so but i wrote the book um you know if you want to you know break into that world and you also want to earn a nice paycheck that's the way to go the thing that actually jumped out at me when she was talking about the, all that is how she said she picked up on the structure of storytelling from writing romance books um, or ghostwriting romance books and and I never really thought about it before but if, if you you know you break that down a little bit you know it makes a lot of sense because I think everybody has been involved in a romance at one point of their life you know so like it's a story structure that we've all lived and experienced um, so to take that and turn that into a fictional project Project isn't too much of a stretch you know you, you, you know the various steps that happen in, in, in that process um, and once you you know create that framework and you repeat it four five ten times you know you can take that same structure and you can throw it into a, a vampire novel and a, a thriller or an apocalyptic novel it doesn't really matter anymore because you understand what those story beats are yeah and the other part of that and Jay mentioned I mean y'all talked about in the interview is that I think helps is like you know romance is the one genre I can think of where that structure's kind of set. Like, it's really hard to deviate from, you know, certain things. And I know you asked her what's the one convention not to get away from, which I, I knew she was going to say the happy ending because that's, like, the real – but there's but there are other things in a romance that, like, basically have to be there. And, you know, the couple has to get together. Then they have to break up. Then they have to come back together. I mean, there's, like, very – it's it, and it's very hard to deviate from that without pissing off readers. So I think that just because it's so regimented in a way, you can really learn structure. And like JD, like you just said, you can take you can take that and apply it to pretty much any other genre in a lot of ways. So it's it's a great way to just build a foundation for storytelling. Yeah, and I it was it was great talking to her. She was really sharp and and really insightful. And I think it was good to reiterate the importance of romance writers and this is not pandering zach and i have said this going all the way back into the horror writers podcast that like the the romance writers are the ones out there who are hustling like they are the ones making bank they're the ones innovating they are the ones with the most hardcore readership like in the indie world especially i think they're they're the role model like they're they're the leaders and i think that um maybe that respect is 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 delayed but like they really deserve it yeah, you know, I mean, it's not just the indie world. If you look at any sales chart, romance is always that the biggest category. Thriller, you know, is usually number two, uh, and then there's there's everything else. But like, it, it's never. I mean, it, it's clearly defined. Romance is the the biggest genre, no matter how how you look at it. Um, I, yeah, I I don't know why they get a bum rap. I I really don't. I think I think it's just because it, it's just so popular. You know, it's almost like with a band, you know, like everybody loves the band when they're underground, you know, when nobody knows about them and you kind of have this little secret. But as soon as it, they break and it becomes something big that everybody's talking about, then, you know, everybody, you know, kind of you know, takes a shit on them for lack of a better way. That, to yeah, I mean, that's it. when the, it's almost like a jealousy thing. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's when the band starts putting coffee machines into their music videos, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Anyway. Um, yeah, so I, I, 
I, I don't get it. I, I think romance writers deserve a ton of respect. Um, you know, not only for the, you know, that, but also the productivity, um, you know, all every, every aspect of it. And, and frankly, I think every author should read some romance novels, even if you're writing something totally different, if you're writing sci-fi or you're writing, you know, an Amish steampunk novel, it really doesn't matter. You know, in order for readers to, to like your characters, like the story, you're going to have to have some human elements in there. And, and one of those elements that, you know, it really needs to be in a lot of different stories is, is romance. So yeah, yeah. you need, you need to understand how to write it. You know, you don't have to write a romance novel, but you know, you need to understand how that fits into this, the scheme of whatever it is you're working on. Yeah. I mean, every, I mean, every, pretty much every story has relationships in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, and, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. I think that reading some of that stuff will just help you write those side plots and those really important character moments in your story even better. There was something else she said that I wanted to ask you guys about because I like I, I I totally agree with her, but I also see the other side of it, which is she said that like she's very disciplined and that she treats the writing like a day job. And uh I I the reason I'm hedging on that is because like that's what it takes, I believe, to be commercially successful. Um I I mean that's you know, J D could speak to that. I, I think for, for authors who are less interested in approaching it more as a hobby that can feel a bit uh, paradoxical like it doesn't it doesn't quite match up so like what what are you what, what's your take on approaching the writing as a day job like how is it like it and how is it not like it I mean, I, I was told early on that you've got a lifetime to write your first book and six months to write the second one. Um, it's very much like stepping on a roller coaster, or stepping on it, you know, pulling onto the traffic on the highway. Like when, once you get off that highway, you know, people start to forget about you pretty quick. So you have to stay in front of them. Um, so I think that's a big part of it. And it's a big driver for me. Um, you know, I, I, any author, you know, that watches their sales numbers closely, will see them start to, you know, trickle down, you know, between those, those titles, the long, you know, more time that goes by the, the lower those numbers go. So like you have to have to stay out there. Um, I frankly wouldn't, I, I don't know what I would do all day long if I, if I wasn't writing, you know, like I, it, I, I would have another hobby, you know, or, or something, but like you have to eat up the time somehow. So for me, it just, it feels right to, to spend the bulk of my day doing this. Um, it's what I've always wanted to do. So, you know, that's why, and we talked about this before. I, I think if you want to become a full-time author and you don't necessarily feel that way, like if you look at your desk and your computer and, and you dread the fact that you have to sit down there and spend a couple hours putting, you know, some, getting some words on paper, um, then this is probably not the career for you. Yeah, I mean, for me, I'm a very uh, structure and habit-oriented person. So, like, having a consistent schedule is super important for me. So, I have, you know, recurring time blocks in my Google Calendar that just show my, you know, and I'll sit down at the beginning of the week and kind of plan out what I'm going to work on each day and spread my different projects over. But I think coming the other way a little bit, you know, I think the the one big thing I've had to kind of teach myself is... Um, when it that sometimes it's okay to let that go a little bit, and like what I mean is, is that if I was at a regular day job, and like I was having, you know, it's it, like a really crappy day or something really bad happened in my personal life, you know, I'd probably still have to go and do my job. But like with this, I've I've learned to like on those occasion, and they don't come that often, but like give myself permission to back away and 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 be flexible and to like. You change things that this I'll tell you this morning, this morning, my, my family was leaving to go to Mississippi and to see family and was taking them forever to get out the door. And it was really distracting for me. And I kind of got like overwhelmed and frustrated. And then 
like when they left, I was, I should have sat down and started working, but I wasn't feeling it. So I was like, Oh, well, I'm going to give myself permission to like go out and take a walk and I can, I can get this other stuff done later. So I think like adjusting things and giving myself that permission. But, um, for the most part though, I mean, I definitely do treat it like just a day job and have set working hours and try to stick to those boundaries as much as I can. You know, it's funny, you and I are probably opposites when it comes to that, because if somebody throws something at me that, you know, it's very easy to get, you know, if you have a bad day, you get a bad phone call or whatever, it takes you out of that, that mood. And it's very difficult to, to sit back down and, and work. But like, I, I force myself to do it. Like I, like I, cause if I change my schedule around, then everything gets kind of goofy and I don't get anything done. Like I yeah. almost, I, I guess I sort of see it as an excuse to, to not work. I mean, if you're able to, to get back to it after the fact, you know, more, more power to you, but I, I know I can't. Um, if I took an hour or two off, you know, and walked in the morning or, or did something else, I, I, the rest of the day is kind of shot for me. So I, I force myself to, to sit there, and even if that means staring at a blank screen. Uh, but that just shows that every, everybody is, is totally different. You know, every aspect of this business is completely different for every single person, and you just have to keep feeling it out until you figure out what, what works for you. That's that's why you're J.D. Barker and I'm not. <laughs> so I don't, <laughs> I don't know about that. Well, J.D. Barker's going to die of a heart attack long before Zach does because Zach knows how to relax a little bit better. All that caffeine's not helping, J.D. Probably not. <laughs> it was great talking with Alyssa. A uh, lot of fun, really interesting insights, and, uh, and hopefully everyone else enjoyed it. Um, so who is up next week? Next week, we've got Carter Wilson. He's the USA Today bestselling author of eight novels. Um, they're all standalone uh, psychological thrillers. His latest is called The New Neighbor, uh, releases April 12th. Excellent. And uh, quick side note, if you're not on Carter's email list, you got to jump on and he does some pretty cool stuff. So to our listeners, make sure you go to writersincpodcast.com and grab the free revision masterclass where you can see the storytelling process from beginning to end. We'll see you next episode and have a great week of writing. Thanks for listening to this episode of Writers Inc. Access the show notes and leave a comment at writersincpodcast.com. Wilson! <laughs> Wilson! <laughs>